provincial funding to help the UCP get elected. This week, the province announces new funding for the HELP initiative that pairs social workers with police. Plus, the city budget is finalized and your tax bills are going out. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 217. Mac, I'm not a huge hockey fan. This has been clear by you're the one always doing the sports ball jokes in the rapid fire section. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I've done new hires at work. So every morning in stand up, it's the sports ball power hour. So I do know, in fact, that the Oilers are 1 1 heading into game three against the Los Angeles Kings, right? Ah, very good. You nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the significance of that is. It's playoffs, Stanley Cup, um, <laughs> penalty yeah. kill. All the words, all the words, yes. There are also words in the rapid fire segment. A strategy by UCP candidates to trap Danielle Smith in the Talistome so she would stop sabotaging their candidacy by talking went off the rails this week after many news orgs picked up on the taproot story confirming an access hatch in the Talistome. Thankfully, since neither the Western Standard nor Rebel News reported the story, the premier remains trapped with no idea how to escape. The city is considering closing what they're calling a spaghetti intersection downtown, where 103rd Street, Bellamy Hill, and Rossdale Road all converge. The city has said that the intersection is far past its prime. With low traffic volumes, very few commuters would have to change their daily routines when entering or leaving the ZT. As investigations into foreign interference in Canadian elections continue, this week the International Democrat Union, a right-wing political organization headquartered in Germany, has been found to be entering the fray with its chair contacting Albertans and encouraging them to, quote, vote conservative, end quote. When asked about the calls, the IDU chair, Stephen Harper, deflected, saying that he was just making a friendly phone call to a fellow party leader in Alberta, and that it was a perfect phone call from one party leader who led the first party in the Commonwealth history to be found in contempt of parliament to another party leader being investigated for obstruction of justice when she realized she was not a United States governor. And now, since we no longer have an ad to go off the top section, this is a space of dead air to say that the jokes are over and we're about to begin the real topics. Oh, hey, welcome to the Real Topics section. Right off the top, it's HELP, the Human-Centered Engagement and Liaison Partnership Unit. This is a cooperation between Edmonton Police and social services workers to, go figure, help people in a way that is harm-reducing, and it got a little bit more funding this week. This is a common thing. This is a budget re-announcement. So as part of the provincial budget for 2023, uh, there's $17 million over three years going to the HELP teams in Edmonton. And the funding will double the number of help teams that there are. And as you said, it's a combination of Edmonton police officers and social service agency partners, which they call navigators. So folks from, say, Boyle Street, the Mustard Seed, Bo Macaulay Health Center, Bentero, etc. And the point of these help teams is not to just treat people like uh, they're committing a crime or to have you know, just police officers interact with them, but to have these social uh, service agency workers who maybe already know the individuals or who might have a, a relationship and who might be trained in how to engage with these folks in a different way, there to offer support. And so they can do things like give them bus passes so they can get to appointments and, uh, and provide other services that go beyond what the police would do by themselves. 
this is very good news. This is exactly the type of stuff we've been advocating for. And when we talk about reallocation of police budgets and how police are not the best equipped to handle certain social work scenarios, these teams are exactly one of the solutions that we tend to talk about. So I do want to emphasize, great, this is a positive change. This is a positive place to be putting the funding. I do want to highlight that funding, though. It's $17 million over three years, which, you know, when you're in a press conference, sounds like an amount of money, but that equates to just about $5.5 million per year. And if you recall back, City Council had a reallocation amount from the Edmonton Police, e.g. they took a certain amount from the Edmonton Police funding, planned to reallocate it to social services and other harm reduction and uh, police diverting uh, services. And then they promptly gave that money back to the Edmonton Police for the Chinatown Operations Center. And that money that they both took away and gave back to the police was on the order of 7 to $10 million, which is higher than the $5.5 million per year that this funding is for. So positive change. But if we're talking about steps in the right direction, this is a baby step in the right direction. And if you do look at the breakdown of the funding, three and a half million out of the whole 17 is for these social navigator positions. The rest of it is for support for the EPS divergence and desistance branch, support for the dispatch center and EPS officers to hire full-time healthcare practitioners at the downtown division, two paramedics at the Northwest division, and then a bunch of money for training and capital and, and things like that. So there's quite a bit of money going to police here. In the context of a provincial election, we can't really expect anything different. I don't know your read on the situation, Mac, but from my perspective, the presidential election thus far has been a little bit of the who can support police more contest with the UCP trying to make voters believe that they haven't been defunding the police for the past four years and the NDP doing a bit of an about face and saying we've always supported police and we want to increase the funding. And indeed, the NDP on their slate have a current Edmonton police commissioner who still has not resigned her seat on the Edmonton police commissioner with less than a month and a half before the election and uh, commitments to increase funding across the board for police services. The UCB, of course, is making this announcement with a notable city councillor present at the announcement. Well, two councillors present, actually. So Councillor Sarah Hamilton and Councillor Tim Cartmill were both at this uh, event that I understand took place at an EPS facility and was only open to EPS-approved media, which is is sort of interesting given that this was a provincial announcement. Uh, but Councillor Cartmell spoke, actually, at the event. And one of the things that, you know, I've caught my ear, I guess you could say, Troy, is whenever you hear a counselor at an event speaking, invariably they say something to the effect of, you know, on behalf of Mayor Amarjeet Sohi and my council colleagues, you know, I'm bringing greetings from the city of Edmonton or something along those lines. Sure. And of course, Cartmel did not say that because he's not actually there on behalf of city council or so he or the city of Edmonton, really. This is in his capacity as a member of that task force that the province established without engagement or approval from city council on who might be a member of that task force. And in fact, I saw you tweet about this. It was even a little more egregious than that because Councillor Cartmel was in fact skipping out on his 
committee duties to be there. That's right. Carmel currently is a member of the Urban Planning Committee. And this announcement happened, you know, in the morning, the same morning that there was an Urban Planning Committee meeting going on at City Hall, where they were doing, I think it was recruitment this time again. So it was actually in private. It wasn't a public meeting, but still the committee was meeting. And instead of being in that meeting, he was at this announcement. And we've talked about this before. Councillor Hamilton and, and Councillor Carmel both, you know, missing out on some of the budget meetings in order to go to provincial announcements. So it seems a bit concerning to me, at least, that we've got these councillors who are prioritizing provincial announcements and provincial uh, events over their council work. Yeah, so I tweeted, like you said, you know, isn't this concerning to the other members of YEGCC? And of course, you know, there's crickets. I don't expect any of them to engage because it's one of those pretty sensitive topics, right? Even if privately some of members of council are upset about this, what can they do about it, right? If, if anything's going to happen, they're going to need to have a majority of them all be in agreement that this is a problem. And there's been some accusations, of course, that some of the other members of council are doing similar things on the other side with, you know, Councillor Michael Jans supporting, you know, mem- members of the NDP, for example. Election time makes people do crazy things, I realize. But in this case with Cartmel and with Hamilton, it's not just an election thing. Yes, of course, uh, election time can always be stressful for Edmonton City Council. I think especially stressful for this Edmonton City Council, because as a member of this council, who I think almost unequivocally should feel like the UCP has been a disaster for their governance, not only because of cuts to funding and revocation of grants, but because of the way that the provincial government treats council with disdain. Mayor Amarjeet Sohi saying notably that the council is treated like children by the government of Alberta. This was in response to the government of Alberta passing legislation to prevent Edmonton City Council from even passing a mask bylaw if they wanted to. So, you know, to see members of your council going behind your back, undermining the mayor in order to support that government, I can imagine causes some significant tensions behind the scenes. But of course, tensions at Edmonton City Council are almost never higher than in their interactions with the police commission, which, if a report is to be believed, was completely solved this week. All tensions gone. Yes, a report went to council this week in response to a motion that they had made back in October when they approved the funding formula for the one year uh, with some recommendations to enhance reporting and accountability. And council discussed that this week and unanimously approved uh, a bunch of recommendations. There was one of them that they did not approve, which we can get to. Uh, but some of these recommendations are enabling council to create an independent third party to manage allegations of code of conduct and conflict of interest and things like that for the police commission, to work with the commission on an alternative dispute resolution process so they can try and you know solve problems before the province gets involved. And interestingly, they're also going to advocate to the province to allow the chair of the police commission to be a full-time position, which isn't something that is currently uh, the case. The mayor called all of these changes very positive and indicated that he thought this would strengthen the relationship between the council and uh, and the police and the commission as if, you know, a bunch of bylaw amendments was all that was causing strife between these organizations. Credit to these changes. They are very good changes, specifically the one allowing for a separate body to investigate complaints against the police commission or commissioners themselves. This, of course, stems from Ashvin Singh, who was a former Edmonton police commissioner who just before 
he resigned and moved to Vancouver, I believe, lobbed a grenade saying that Councillor and Commissioner Ann Stevenson had a conflict of interest and had acted unethically in regards to the investigation of Duncan Kinney. Many were left wondering, what investigation? How could this possibly be unethical? What exactly happened here? And there was there was no answer from there, but the letter was addressed to Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, who promptly said, well, I can't do anything about this. And the police commission themselves were kind of like, well, we really can't do much about this either. So this process allowing them to perhaps do something about that would be very good. And of course, a full-time police commission chair. I think this can't be undersold. Many people don't understand that the police commission is almost volunteer, right? You're appointed to the police commission. You're paid a small honorarium for attending the meetings. But the idea is it's the same as like the Edmonton Naming Committee or ETSAB, the Edmonton Transit Service of Advisory Board. It's an advisory board of council. But you and I know that the scope and scale of what the police commission has to deal with, hundreds of millions of dollars of budget and truly the framework of our community safety lies solely in the police commission's hand. Council doesn't even get input on how to enact police accountability to much extent. So for it all to be part-timers who don't have a lot of expertise and don't have appropriate remuneration, that's pretty poor structure in my view. Yeah, I think you're right. That could be a good change. One of the things you just mentioned there, though, is that, you know, the structure of our community safety rests in this organization. And I, I would say not quite, although they would like <laughs> it to, because one of the other recommendations they made was to have a special meeting of council specifically to look at some previous recommendations that they had made to essentially insert themselves into the rest of the community safety framework that they don't currently have any control over. So one way to imagine this is, you know, city council's at the top and underneath that you've got two streams. One is the police commission and underneath them is the police service. And then the other stream, you've got the community safety and well-being, you know, work policy task force, all the things the city has done, and then the partners and agencies and, and all the different programs and things under that. And the police commission essentially had made a, a recommendation previously that said, this is kind of silly. Why don't we merge these two? And oh, by the way, since we're here, why don't we make the Edmonton Police Commission the thing in charge of all of that? And this had been quite contentious when it had been floated in the past. And this idea of a special meeting specifically to discuss this you know, reorganization failed. Uh, 11 to 2 was the vote. Only Cartmel and Principe voted in favor of exploring that further. Mac, I don't know if you read the proposal for this report, but it was actually very funny to me that this would even be included. Because like you said, this was an old document. I believe it stemmed back as early as 2016 when the work on this was started. It was a previous police commission chair, an entirely different police commission and an entirely different council at the time. But there was one line in there that was just very funny to me. And it said, quote, this proposal is conceptual only. It is not a business case and has not considered governance, potential legislative change, legal concerns, labor relations, community opinions, etc. End quote. So the police commission is coming to council saying, we need a special meeting to discuss this radically different framework that would essentially apply the police commission model to most of the city organization. And it's not a business case and we haven't considered any potential ramifications of it. Can you dedicate some special time to give this impeccable report due consideration? <laughs> and city council rightly said, 
no. Shocking that that would be the outcome when you put it that way, Troy. (laughs) Obviously, this report and discussion didn't go forward, but this wasn't the only news on the police commission this week. No, there was another amendment that went to council to the police commission bylaw. And on first glance, you know, it didn't seem particularly interesting. It's amendments to the police commission bylaw to essentially bring it up to speed with the amendments that the province made to uh, the police act, which received royal assent back in December and was proclaimed uh, just here at the end of March. But there are some really interesting changes as a result of this. So one is that the minister, the provincial minister, can now make appointments to the Edmonton Police Commission. So it's not just up to council anymore who can be on the police commission. They've also changed the number of appointed members that can be on the council. So council itself now can only appoint up to nine members. And if they do, the minister can appoint up to three. So there's a total of of 12. And the minister can appoint more than that, but it can't exceed 15. And they can only be revoked by the minister. So this is a huge transfer of power over the composition of the police commission from city council to the province. And this is a problem in Edmonton, for a variety of reasons, one of which is that right now, council has already appointed 12 people, so above their their limit of nine. And they had previously decided that they wanted to expand the number of people on the police commission, thinking that, you know, this might allow for some better oversight. Although at the time when we spoke about it, I remember you saying, yeah, that's not going to have the impact you think it will. Take me into that a little bit. If the police act is requiring that city council can only have appointed nine members, does the city council have to go to the justice minister and say, pretty please, can you kick some of our members off the police commission? What's the solution here? Well, since the there's a provision basically for these amendments, so it came into force, as I said, the end of March, March 29th, and it says if council had appointed more than their nine members before that took place, those members remain appointed, but council can't reappoint them or add anybody new unless it falls down to that nine limit of nine. So there's no immediate changes, but it means in the future, the police commission will be smaller and the number of people that council can appoint to it will be smaller. And of course, this does follow a broad trend that we've seen in the province of Alberta. I'm thinking boards of universities have provincially appointed members on boards or even chairs, uh, hospital boards. Uh, the AHS board, for example, was dissolved uh, in order to have a hand-picked uh, caretaker installed. So this has been a pattern of behavior across the province, and this seems just another step. One might say, what's the risk here? While the province can appoint certain members, would they really interfere? And I think one has to look no further than earlier this year when Tyler Shandro, Minister of Justice, said to Edmonton City Council, you have two weeks to get me a public safety plan or else I'm taking over your police as I'm entitled to do under the Police Act. So the desire for the province to mess with and control the Edmonton Police Service, I think has been shown. And I think all of this comes to the climax in the context of funding for safety in our city. We've seen endless requests from our city council and our mayor to the province for permanent supportive housing, for addressing for addiction and houselessness and homelessness. And just this week, we saw at a provincial press conference a dismissal of the idea of things like harm reduction and safe supply because, quote, we've tried those things before, end quote. We haven't tried those things. We haven't tried permanent supportive housing because the city of Edmonton built 
permanent supportive housing units, and the province wouldn't and still hasn't with all these announcements funding them. We only operated those 40 or so units earlier because Homeward Trust has moved around their budget, and that hasn't been backfilled by the province, even with all these announcements. So what's at stake here is actually quite material for the city of Edmonton. And like you said, this is a bylaw amendment that would have just snuck under the radar had you not dug in and saw, well, maybe there's some implications here. And I think that's going to be really critical in the next month when we are deciding what the next four years in this province are going to look like. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of stuff related to the election. The outcome of this bylaw council this week, you know, I thought might be related to the election as well, because council didn't actually vote on it. They instead approved a motion unanimously to postpone a vote on this until the June 13th city council meeting, which would, of course, would be after the... Conveniently timed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it turns out that the clerk uh, spoke up uh, during this item. Uh, It was moved by uh, Councillor Stevenson, who's, of course, a member of the police commission. Uh, But the city clerk spoke up and said they wanted to have some conversations with the police commission to clarify some things. So maybe it's just about, you know, getting the the details right before they actually uh, vote on this. But yes, convenient timing. Well, if you look outside, it's that time of year as well. Everything's melting. The birds are out. The sun is high in the sky. And that means, yes, you know it. Spring Soba is here. It's time for the supplementary operating budget adjustment. City Council has finalized the budget for the next year and set in the tax rate. And that means they have a little bit of money to move around for one final time before your taxes go out. Yeah, the tax increase will stay the same, 4.96%. Notices will be mailed to property owners in May and taxes are still due by June 30th. So not a lot changes here. And, you know, the adjustments were pretty expected. Uh, There's always changes from December to now based on, you know, the economy and things like that. One of the most notable changes, of course, is that there was actually assessment growth So more than they anticipated. So there's more tax accounts than they anticipated in the city of Edmonton. And then the other one that was sort of interesting and and, uh, it was probably the main thing, if you look at the documents, there's some other changes, is that uh, we reduced the budget a little bit because of the decommissioning of the Edmonton Metro Transit Services Commission, about $13 million less as a result of the commission going away. So that's one of the changes that went into this uh, operating budget adjustment. Ironically, this week, while we're getting that extra money, there was reporting going around saying that uh, municipalities have all been at the table talking about how they can still preserve regional transit uh, absent this commission. Uh, So it looks like that is still proceeding just without that cost that we are incurring. But of course, costs are everywhere on the mind of city council and especially city administration. And you took some time this week to talk with city manager Andre Corbald about OP12, the motion to find savings and move around budget to council priorities. Yeah, OP12 is the amendment to the operating budget. It asks for $60 million in cuts over the four-year budget, so $15 million a year, as well as a reallocation of $240 million to council priorities. And so he started providing updates on this in January uh, and committed to meeting with council essentially once a month to try and move this along. And he took some time to talk to me this week about where things are at on OP12. Yep. I would say we're definitely on track with the timeline. I, I have, uh, I'm, a, I'm sort of 90% sure I've got the first 15 million sorted out. I'm working on, uh, I've got about, uh, about half of that figured out for the, the second, third, and fourth year. So I'm, I want to finish that. And that's not super surprising because he had previously talked about how, 
you know, the 60 million is just sort of approved by council. It's already out of the budget. Now I just have to go stay within budget. And I asked him, you know, considering there was an $80 million surplus uh, at the end of 2022 alone, must feel a little awkward to have to go and find cuts when you've got this surplus of money. And he sort of explained that, you know, it's not it's not exactly how it works and there's carry forwards and all kinds of reasons, but wasn't so concerned about the, the 60 million. It's the 240 that is the big challenging one. And it's the one that uh, requires the most input from council, of course, and is also the one that I think most of us are going to be interested in because they're going to be pretty big changes and pretty big moves. And uh, I asked him, is there going to be public engagement on those things? Uh, I would say, though, that you know we're not doing a, a full, complete uh, public engagement on, on that. Uh, I would say, though, that there's lots of initiatives that, as part of this, would relate closely to what the public contributed to on pre-budgeting information. And so we've looked at what the public has said, and we're using a lot of, uh, you know, input we get from the public, whether it's through 311 or emails or other things, to consider ideas that have come up as part of OP12. Kind of interesting and also a little bit disappointing, but, you know, uh, council itself could still do some engagement if they wanted to. I suppose my question is, what exactly would that engagement look like? Because the $240 million isn't $240 million for new initiatives, for uh, new plans. It's for taking stuff that we don't identify as priorities and putting it to stuff that we've already identified as priorities. So shouldn't the consultation have already been done when we set those things as priorities? And he did kind of say that, right? He, he indicated that there's been lots of engagement that went into the budget, for example, itself, and that administration would lean on those things, but they're reallocations. So that means the money has to come away from something else to go toward those priorities. So there's 170 services that the city of Edmonton provides, and they're doing this review right now of which ones of those should be considered core services. Uh, the city manager told me there are about 30 to 40 reviewed so far, so they've quite a ways to go, but they're doing this analysis of those core services. But if we're moving money from you know those non-core services to things that council has deemed our priorities, some things are going to go away, and that would potentially have an impact on people. And I think there's no better example of that than what we talked about uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We talked about high-profile departures uh, from both HR and the communications department in the city of Edmonton, and I understand you had a chance to talk to Andre about that. Yeah, I asked him about two things. So one is they had previously announced this hiring restraint, not a freeze because they're still hiring, but a restraint. And it's interesting because, you know, city manager is a pretty high level position, obviously. He's got a lot of folks who work for him, but he's been pretty involved, it sounds like, in reviewing, you know, hiring plans. And he said that about 10% of the hires they haven't proceeded with. And so that saved some money. But yeah, those high profile hires, I asked him, you know, Katrin Owen, who was the Deputy City Manager of Communications, and Kim Armstrong, who was the Deputy City Manager of Employee Services, so kind of the HR department, pretty high profile people to leave. Is that about OP12? And he said, not really. You know, they've, they've left on super positive terms, and I look forward to being colleagues with them for, for a long time. And Kim Armstrong and I, you know, we work together as deputy ministers in the province as well. So that right. connection's not going anywhere. It was very positive. Um, but, you know, certainly with, with their departure, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to immediately hire behind them. I'm going to obviously, because I, everything I'm doing in the city now is through a lens of OP12. And so uh, that's what I'll do in this case, and before I make a decision on, on what's next, I, I will make sure that I, I know what we want to do from an org structure perspective. Okay, so I hear what he's saying there, Mac, but 
you and I both read the LinkedIn posts of those employees, and neither of them really sounded like, hey, I got a job, you know, being communications for the United Nations. I'm moving to Belgium. Let's have a party. It was very standoffish. So can it really be super positive terms with high collaboration like he's alluding? It's questionable, isn't it? I mean, especially to say, oh, it's not really related to OP12, but I'm also not going to hire immediately behind them because we're going to save a bit of money the longer those positions stay stay empty. Yeah, I certainly didn't read those LinkedIn posts as you know, being super effusive and uh, positive about the the situation. And, you know, this was so great. I'm so glad you've had the opportunity of moving on to bigger and better things. Like that's not the way those things were worded, right? So it is a bit surprising that in, in the city manager's mind, at least, that they left on really positive terms. Okay, so putting that aside, all of this is underway. OP12 is still getting done and hopefully on track, according to the city manager. What's the next step? When is council going to hear about this next? The next major update he's planning is in May. So uh, the city manager, Corbold, will bring an update to council that will talk more about the core services and the analysis there uh, and where they're at in terms of uh, that, that whole review. And we'll also provide information about some of the actions they've already taken and the impacts of the decisions that they've, they've already made. So that's coming up in May. Uh, of course, the next kind of big financial milestone, aside from you know, our typical financial updates, will be the fall budget adjustment. And Andre basically said that we're in fall budget time now, right? They're making decisions and bringing things forward to council. And he thinks that the fall budget adjustment is going to go really, really smoothly because in theory, council will have already made a bunch of financial decisions along the way uh, that uh, that contribute to both that $15 million that they need to find in savings in the first year, as well as you know actions to set the city up to do similar things in the subsequent years. So that's what's next, uh, an update from council in May. And Taproot, of course, is also continuing to pay attention to this. And we've got some additional reporting that you can look forward to on that. And of course, we can't end the podcast without talking about one final approved change this week. A borrowing bylaw for $100 million was passed this week, Mac. And what was it for? The bike plan. Of course, it doesn't have such a clear and easy to understand name in the documents. If you look for this, Troy, it's called Integrated Infrastructure Services Project Active Transportation Implementation Acceleration. Approach three. (laughs) I got to say, Mac... I previously tried to make a site called like a site like votes.mp where, you know, you could track city councilor voting records and uh, see how councilors voted on your favorite motions. And Mac, this is exactly why it didn't work, because that doesn't mean bike plan. No, it's anybody just looking at the, I want to know what's going on with the bike plan. You look through the council documents, you would never find it. Uh, But that's what it is, of course. This is the approach three, one of the options that they had been presented with that council agreed to pursue. So $100 million, and it passed eight to four. They had previously already agreed to do this, of course. This just makes it official that the city can borrow that money. Uh, The four who opposed it were councillors Hamilton, Cartmel, Rice, and Principe. And it appears the mayor was absent for that vote, which is why it doesn't add up to 13. Well, of course, with summer just around the corner and all the bikes coming out of the garage, I'm very excited to see this develop over the next four years. I, of course, love to see things develop. And the best way to watch developing stories, in fact, is beat reporting, which Taproot has gotten exceptionally good at with The Pulse. 
It's our daily news briefing. We try and tell you everything you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. So it's got short, informative updates on what's happening at City Hall, as well as you know the other topics that we pay pretty close attention to, like business and tech and food and the arts and things like that. We like to include some fun features from time to time, such as a moment in history, and you can get it for free to your inbox every day. Subscribing is great. Subscribe to The Pulse and, of course, subscribe to this podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are sold or at speakingmunicipally.taprootedmonton.ca for the people who like to listen in their web browser. We'll be back in your web browser podcast app in just a mere week. So until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.